What's up? I'm Bobby Jones. And I'm Aftal Aziz. We're two friends who decided to quit our jobs in corporate life to follow our purpose and passion in helping people find new ways to use their talents for good. Together, we're co-founders of the best-selling book, Good is the New Cool, Market Like You Give a Damn. We welcome you to the Good is the New Cool podcast in partnership with Solo House. Featuring some of the world's most inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and activists, we're going to delve deep into their unique stories and the one thing they have in common, the desire and the courage to transform our world for the better. This evening, we'll be joined by Poppy Jamie, the creator of the Happy Not Perfect app, which is focused on improving mental health and positive well-being. The aim of the app is to raise self-esteem and try to counteract the culture of likes and selfies through feel-good mantras, brain games, and community. So Bobby, it's been interesting in the lead up to this episode, we have both been actually using the Happy Not Perfect app. And I got to say, I really like it. I never thought my mobile phone could be a source of mental wellness and well-being. Uh, most of the time, it's a source of stress and anxiety, you know, when you're dealing with business. And I find it so interesting as a starting point, you know, at this whole idea of how technology, such a double-edged sword, can also give you something like mindfulness and wellness as well. Um, when you look at the stats, like we are in the middle of a mental health epidemic. You know, we are one of the most stressed out, anxious, isolated, you know, moments in the world. And it doesn't matter, by the way, I think if you're Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, baby boomer, because technology has become this overriding force in our lives and because we all have these things in our pockets that make us instantly connected to the entire, you know, 7.4 billion people or whatever on this planet. It's got to the stage where really we don't know how to control it. Technology controls us to a large extent. And I think it's one of those moments of enlightenment as a species where we're waking up going, hang on a second. Yes, this thing is amazing. Yes, this thing can give me an endless source of knowledge and wisdom and inspiration, but it can also really mess me up. Yeah. You know, and the theme of this podcast is how you kind of use imagination and creativity to solve the problems of the world. And I'm realizing mental well-being is a key component of driving social impact. You cannot do it unless your brain is in a clear-headed place and you're emotionally in a spiritually good place to be able to tackle it. You have to look after yourself first before you want to try and change the world. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the opportunity that we have right now is to really become much more aware of our mental health, where we are, what we're struggling with, and using that awareness as the first step towards taking the, the proper uh, precautions to make sure that we're giving our brains and our minds the time that we need. And when you think about, as you talked about, the role that stress plays in terms of our ability to be creative, our ability to actually bring ideas into fruition, um, learning how to manage stress and learning how to deal with it in a healthy way is, is key from a health standpoint, but it's such such an essential part from a creative standpoint as well. And so I, th I think as, a, as creators and as people that live in this creative spaces, it's essential that we figure out our ways of, of protecting our health in that area. Well, enough preamble. Um, you had a great interview with Poppy. Let's jump into it and uh, hear what she has to say. You have the calmest energy ever. <laughs> I came in here so like 
frazzled for being <laughs> late because I hate being late. And you are so calm. You've taken my frazzled energy and like dialed it down. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm practicing all of my happy, not perfect, <laughs> zen-like material. Um, I'm zen as fuck, as you say. <laughs> yeah, it's chill. yeah, zen as fuck. It, it, it's actually an amusing point because having a mindfulness app, everyone assumes that I just must be, yeah, zen as fuck. <laughs> and then when I'm not, they're like, shouldn't you be using your own app more? And I'm like, now that, my friends, shows you that the power is in repetition. Yes. And so if, if I miss a few days of, you know, my mindfulness practice, I really do notice the impact. Yeah, so you, you, you found me on a day when I haven't done my mindfulness practice. I'm glad we're going to be talking about it. Absolutely. So here we are. I'm, I'm super excited to, to talk with you. You know, I've, I've been seeing and reading so much about the great stuff that you're doing. Um, oh. And so let's just go back in your journey. I mean, you've had an amazing career up to this point, starting really young. It seems as though you've kind of found a spark in something that you found really interesting and passionate about uh, this intersection between storytelling and pop culture, you know, as a journalist and as and as someone who is kind of uh, connected to the pop culture world. How did you get into this space? How did you how did you start? Well, I think I was always fascinated by people, people from different walks of life and different countries that would fascinate me. And I always used to look at TV presenters and think, wow, aren't they lucky? They get to meet all these people and interview them and find out their stories. So I, from the age of seven, told everyone I met I was going to be a TV presenter wow. and nothing was going to stop me and nothing did stop me. And that's where I suppose my kind of entrepreneur mindset came from because no one was going to do it for me. I just needed to be more creative to find a way to do the things I wanted to do. So I applied to university in London. So that meant that I could live there as a student. And then when I was at university, I thought, right, if I'm going to get a job, then I'm going to have to meet the employers that are going to give me a job. Yeah. How am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the London School of Economics. I used to email from my university account so it looked a bit more professional. And I would email these CEOs of TV companies and I would say, the London School of Economics would love to interview you about your career. And obviously they saw London School of Economics and thought, wow, little did they realise it was Poppy in the library, you know, trying to get her hands on a camera that hardly worked. Um, and so everybody would say yes to this interview. Um, and I would <laughs> turn up with a couple of people that I would recruit from the library desks next to me and plead them with a couple of free beers afterwards and say, we just hold this camera while I give this interview. And my second interview happened to be with uh, one of the head producers at ITN, which was one of the leading news organizations in the UK at the time. And um, I gave this appalling interview where I stumbled through every question, forgot most of them. And afterwards I said, well, can I have a job? <laughs> I think this man was so startled, uh, this kind of 19 year old bouncy thing. And I think he thought, well, you know, it's like telling a puppy they can't have a biscuit. So he was like, oh, God, uh, yeah, I'm sure I can connect you with someone. And so I ended up being the tea girl in the newsroom. And 
it was my entry into being a TV presenter to then moving to LA to then launching two startups. And it all just came from being really determined and really thinking, well, where there's a will, there's a way. That's wonderful. And I mean, and you knew that at such a young age. You, you had that kind of clarity that this is what you wanted to do. What, what was the moment? Was there a moment when you were just like, I think I got this. Like, you know, often we visualize what we want to do, what we want to create. And sometimes there's this moment where you're just like, wow, I'm doing it. You know what's so interesting is I don't think I've ever had that moment. Wow. Because what we visualize, it rarely often turns out that way. You know, my dream was to host this television show that doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's it's a real gift to know what you want to do because through the last kind of 12 years, I think that, you know, I've gone through peaks and troughs of having really specific goals and then kind of getting to these moments of going, oh, oh God, oh God, where am I going next? Oh God, where's the goal? Where's the goal? And that's it's kind of scary not to know. And I thought, oh, this is what most people feel like. I think we're all in different stages and it's a really lovely thing to say because for those that don't have that strong mission. It's okay. It is, and I, and I love the point that you make about the, the pressure that we feel sometimes to have it all figured out. This is it, and this is my life's mission, and, and this everything. I was the worst TV presenter ever, and I honestly got fired from my job four times. I was hopeless. I, <laughs> in one of these interviews I had with Jude Law, and it became this viral video. So I walk into this interview, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Jude Law, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> Fangirl comes out. You know, I totally lose all professionalism. And I go to sit down on my chair in this kind of junket scenario, and I just totally miss the seat. And I'm falling back and I clip the edge and it catapults me front first. And I'm lying on the floor, my short skirt, error of judgment to wear that, <laughs> is literally riding up like, like my ass is on show. And I'm lying on the floor, looking up into Jude Law's eyes going, oh fuck, <laughs> I have just lost my job. And I couldn't stop laughing. I just got the giggles, I couldn't stop laughing. So yeah, anyway, so I suppose again, I kind of got to, not even, I got to a semi-point of doing what I always thought I was going to do and realised I was rather hopeless at it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but you, you, in those moments you got to laugh. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> laugh or cry. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know after that you survive. Yeah, you know, that's another thing is the, you know, I think we all fear this illusion of failure and... To be honest, failure's been my best strength. Like that video went viral. I got fired and then I kind of got hired and had a better job because I thought, great, we've got Bridget Jones here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, failing forward. I read that recently and I thought it was wonderful. This idea that like, look forward to failing forward because whatever kind of illusion of a setback, it's gonna put you on a better track. It's such an important part of the journey to know that you will survive your worst days. Yes, yes. Because that's, that's mainly what we fear the most, right? That this is day to be built up in our head where everything's going to go wrong. People are going to realize we don't know what we're doing and everything's going to just fall apart. And then some version of that happens and it's like, it's okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so there was another kind of stage that you talk about around your Snapchat yes. show. Talk about, about that, that kind of period in yeah. your, your journey. 
So I moved to LA when I was 23. I went to go and launch one of the first talk shows on Snapchat, which is very interesting at the time because the app hadn't had any content on it prior. They were testing out um, the Discover page, which now is very fully formed. But three years ago, I remember meeting um, the head of content at Snapchat and she's an amazing girl. And she said, yeah, let's just try out this concept. And so we, and this is what is so great about technology is how fast it is. You know, when you're waiting for a television uh, production to happen, sometimes it could be months in development, but this was within a month of us meeting, the show was live on the app and millions of people watching. And also kind of at the similar time, we were all really discovering what social media was doing to us. We didn't know the consequences of what our life would be like with digital identities. There was no human that could look into the future and say, hey guys, so this thing called Facebook and Instagram is gonna come along and you're gonna build a profile and it's actually gonna become more important than your own identity because people are gonna judge you on it and actually don't probably upload this. And, and you may then get addicted to the fact that you'll now crave external validation far more than you used to. And oh, by the way, you're going to know more about everyone else's life than you ever thought you would know about. Yeah. And you're going to have thousands of friends, not hundreds or tens, you're going to have thousands of friends. It's just bombarded with information, being on demand, comparison overload. Yeah. Comparison, the thief of all joy, like great quote. It's, yeah. it's true, you've had a great holiday until you see your friend's snaps and suddenly yours wasn't so great. Yeah. And it just like steals like our enjoyment. No one told us this. And suddenly we all just blindly signed up. And look, there's some wonderful things that came out of it. Yeah. But also what became so apparent to me, working in this social media platform, doing this TV show, being in contact, listening to my audience, suddenly it was so clear that we were all struggling mentally. And when I started to look into this in more of a scientific way, because I was always so curious, I suddenly thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm reading these statistics. Anxiety is at an all-time high. Antidepressants have gone up 400% since 1990, yet happiness levels haven't. Yeah. Um, where college students are spending up to kind of 13 hours on their phone. Yeah. How is that really affecting the way that our minds and brains are working? How we have relationships? They don't like me because they didn't like any of my posts. No, yeah. Like, what? It was this moment of going, oh my God, who is there helping people? Like when we are struggling with our stress and anxiety, who is there to help us? And when I looked around, there was no one. We are in a mental health crisis at the moment. Yeah. Um, and we look what's been the biggest change in our life and it's been the infiltration of technology. We're just scratching the surface, I think, and even understanding the impact of technology and, and this just constant, um, really an addiction to the interaction with, um, with validation. Yeah. It's such a phenomenon that I think it'll be decades. In some ways, I think it'll be some of the same ways we look at like smoking cigarettes and all these other things where it's just like decades yes. later, you're like, oh, this is the warning label that should have been on this 30, 40 years ago. Totally. Like, yeah. do you feel good when you get no likes on a post? You don't, you feel terrible. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you are. Because yeah. what it does, it, it's, it's triggering primal human responses of wanting to be socially accepted. Because in caveman times, 
being socially accepted equals survival. Yeah. You're part of a group. So feeling socially rejected would have potentially harmed our survival. We're out the group, wouldn't be able to get food, wouldn't be able to get shelter. Yeah, it, it is such a primal thing. And, I, and I'm curious, it's like you made a very intentional decision that you were going to create a science-based solution and you was going to develop the science-based understanding of our relationship with technology, our relationship with each other and how it affects our health and how it affects all these other things. Um, I'm really obsessed with the science element to wellness and well-being because I find that when you look at this kind of mindfulness movement that's happening right now, without this hardcore science backing, I feel that a lot of people can't get on board with it. They're like, ooh, bit woo-woo, bit spiritual, like, oh, I don't know. But the, what science does, it says, no, this is what is happening in your brain. Meditation has been proven by so many science studies to help you. Breathing has been proven by science to hack your nervous system, to help your whole, not only your mental health, your physical health too. And it means that no one can ignore these big messages that are saying, we need to look after our mind like we do our bodies. And so for me, when I uh, started to really delve into the neuroscience of it, and actually understanding what was happening to my brain when I started breathing, when I started writing gratitude lists, when I started meditating, it was like, oh my God, this isn't just something that's nice to do. This is like absolutely necessity. Yeah. Just like we brush our teeth. At five years old, you get told you need to brush your teeth, otherwise they're gonna fall out fact yeah. and I want mental well-being to be seen in the same way it's fact like we, we shouldn't be doing our days without just spending a few moments looking after our minds we wouldn't spend weeks not brushing our teeth no you're so right I remember I, I went to a doctor who was working and focused on stress-related issues so I was feeling always stressed and you know the, the hectic demands of you know working in agency world at that time and she just sat me down and she was just like, take 10 deep breaths. Then I did it. And she talked about how that resets your system, how it resets your body. And I was like, I am 30 something years old. And this is the first time anyone ever told me or taught me how to breathe, like to breathe. I mean, if there's anything that we have control over in terms of our ability to help ourselves cope with anxiety, stress, whatever, it's our ability to breathe. And no one had ever taught me how to actually do it in a way that resets myself. And I was just thinking, why is this so secretive? I couldn't agree more. That was so much of a part of Happy Not Perfect was this, at the age of 25, going, oh, why am I learning this now? Yeah. Um, you know, from the age of five years old, we start most people start breathing badly because we go to school, we hunch over desks and our breath goes all up into our chest. Mm -hmm. And so when we bring the breath just back to belly breathing and it hacks your nervous system, stimulates your vagus nerve, takes you out of the fight and flight into the rest and relax system that allows you to make better decisions, react in the way you want to react, improves your digestion, helps lower back pain, helps you sleep better. I mean, benefits are endless. Every human being can learn the basics to your emotional and mental health. I love that. And, and you know, there's this, um, 
what we often refer to as the moment of obligation, right? There's this point that we get to where doing it is not just, oh, that would be a good thing to do or a nice thing to do, but I need to do this. And it, and it sounds like there was this time that you were you were there where you realized the world needs what I have to offer and I need to create this. Totally. And for me, this really was like a soul calling. It was like 3 a.m. I woke up in the morning with these words, happy, not perfect. And I went online at 3 a.m. to buy the domain name. And I could not believe that it was free. And it started off kind of slow and it was going to be a website and it was just going to be full of kind of tools and information. And like, what's that saying? Where the energy is supposed to go, it will flow. Mm -hmm. And these people would appear in my life that were going to help me on my way yeah. to deliver Happy Not Perfect. And I say deliver because it really was like a pregnancy for three years. Yeah. You know, every single minute of the day, I just was thinking about what does Happy Not Perfect need? And I look back in the last three years and I met my first investor. I'd never raised money before. I mean, for me, again, to be trusted as an entrepreneur, having had a career in TV, it was Happy Not Perfect they trusted. Do you know what I mean? All yeah. I was was just this vessel. It's like the universe has conspired to help. 100%. And Happy Not Perfect now has got its own life, which is so lovely, and it's got its own identity. Um, and actually, since its launch, it's, it's been a really odd thing because it's kind of... I got so much energy from creating it and putting it together. And it's interesting because when it then goes out in the world, it's, it's, it's a total different energy exchange. That is the scariest part of it. It's, it's the point in which you have to put this out in the world and you have no control over how the world reacts to it. Yeah. And one of the things that was helpful for me is that I had to write down my intention. And I wrote out, this is an offering to help everyone who needs it. That just kind of, for me, it just released all of my anxiety. Because at the point at which I offer it, I've done my part. I, I stopped worrying about how people react to it. And I, and I was just focused on, am I creating something that's really consistent with the intent. And if it is the manifestation of that intention, then I've done my job. I'm curious, what was that period like for you? This is going to be real and now you, it's no longer yours. Yeah. I'm still in the process now, to be honest, because it only launched just kind of six, seven weeks ago. And with technology, you're bound to come up against problems. So that's been an interesting process to accept and remind myself that we're happy, not perfect. Yes, that's, that's a perfect reminder. <laughs> it's the universe having a huge joke with me. It's like, Poppy, remember, happy, not perfect. Happy, not perfect. Yeah, um, but to be honest, the entire mission of happy, not perfect was really to put my mum into an app because oh, wow. she helps everyone she knows and she is a psychotherapist so I thought wouldn't it be lovely if she could be in an app and then she could help the world wow I love that so that was really my first real intention and for the app to be the first brain gym to be in a place that people can go every single day to use the tools to work out their mind and so as long as the app can help people spend a moment looking after themselves then I am happy. And that's been what has been so lovely about birthing it and, and now it's out there is when you do, you know, read the messages that says 
This has really helped me today. This has helped me through a breakup. This helped me through my anxiety. This helped me before I was about to do some public speaking. And those messages mean everything. I love that. I mean, I've, I've, I've just started using it for the past few days. One quick question. You made a decision to make that free. Yeah, there's a part of it that is a subscription, yeah. but a lot of it is free. The accessibility of it and the openness feel um, feel intentional because it feels very connected to the impact that you want the app to make in the world. Yes. And this is the interesting, I suppose, conversation when business meets doing good, right? Yeah. It's a really interesting point because I think had I met my younger self, my younger self would have been like, oh, you'd be running a charity. You know, I just love this idea that you give, give, give. And then I do think if a business can be providing and looking after people, but also be self-sufficient, mm -hmm. then that's incredible because it means we can continue to grow. Yeah. We need it. It is for profit. We need it to be profitable yeah. because we need to invest that money back into making the app brilliant to help more people. Yeah. And at the same time, the fundamental mission of Happy Not Perfect is to help people with their mental well-being and to make it democratic. Because when we talk about the science community, so much incredible information is stuck in dusty books, yeah. books we are not reading. So how do we take all this research that has been done for the last 40 years and deliver it in a way that no matter who you are, where you are, um, how old you are, you can benefit from the work of the science community. Um, so that was the kind of decision we had to make over what bit was free and what wasn't. The main bit that's free is almost the full mind workout. We call it the refresh. Mm -hmm. Brush your teeth, wash your face, refresh your mind. And that was really important that people could have a daily regiment and it was available for everyone. And then the meditations, which are incredible, are part of the subscription. You know, Happy Not Perfect, I want to be in every single person's life, right next to where they have Facebook, Instagram, a messenger, or whatever. Like it is, you know, it's really important. Um, in order for that to be the case, we needed to make sure that it was accessible and democratic. And, and I, I love that. And, and I do think that the idea that you can make money while doing good is the exciting moment that I think we're realizing. And I think that it's important for the businesses that are doing both to really be successful. Totally. And so actually offering the main part of the app for free has actually been a better business decision. This is the community that's developed around, around the app and around Happy Not Perfect. And that's been really nice. It's, it's nice to recommend something to a friend they know they can do because it's free, you know? Yeah. And so, th so I think it's probably grown more so that a lot of it was free. Do you have a favorite story yet of someone who's used the app and has told you the impact that, that it's had on them? We got a really lovely story from a woman talking about how the app has totally transformed her seven-year-old. Mm. And that was really lovely because we made it so all ages could use it. So bizarrely, my dad is literally the biggest fan. He sends me in. in <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. We have a, a really strong user base of men over 50. 
And I wow. think, uh, yeah, it's so funny because it, like literally the app was for millennials, made for millennials, this youth, youth, youth. And that's like the forgotten age group. That's yeah. With so much stress right now. And also I feel the, the age group that was not allowed to express emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. So having this kind of workout, this kind of brain gym that allows them to release these emotions and be able to then cultivate these positive ones has been a really super helpful tool to them so but yeah so the seven-year-old that was that really made a lot that meant a lot to me because I think that if you're able to teach these practices and really simple activities to a young mind look neuroplasticity our mind can change at all ages but it's especially malleable when you're little so I think that really touched me because I thought oh well that's really promising you know for for those that are listening um who are on different creative fields that are different parts of their journey, who have this idea or something they want to improve, someone they want to help or a community that they want to help, but they kind of don't know where to start. What, what would you tell them as they're trying to figure this out? No step is too small. Every step in creating Happy Not Perfect all led to the next step. It's like a join the dots mm -hmm. game, you know? You've got to go from one dot to get to the next dot and you don't know what picture you're making by joining the dots find the first dot and then when you get to that first dot it's amazing because the second dot will appear mm -hmm. but it's a bit like a scavenger hunt you've got to get to one thing to find out when the next place to go is so don't worry about not having the full thing mapped out just know what you've got to do next and then when you get to that next thing, you've got to do next. Um, and I think that sometimes we lose so much time. And look, this goes against all, I think, business training. People say, have a strategy and do all of this. And I really didn't have a strategy for much of it. And look, that may not be good advice. <laughs> for me, I just went dot, 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 dot. And it's a good way to not feel overwhelmed. Because sometimes I think when you're doing good, and you're looking at a problem, the problem can then make you feel really overwhelmed. And then you almost like, it's like fight, flight or freeze. You freeze and you can't do anything. So just focus on that small step you can do. I love it. You know, Poppy, you, you have this wonderful energy about you that is both determined and focused and at the same time curious and open to all the possibilities. And that's a very rare combination. And I think your story embodies what it means to be happy, not perfect. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. <laughs> well, Poppy, thank you for joining us on the this Good is a New Pool podcast. It's been such a, a, a fun time talking with you. For those who don't know, Poppy and I were talking earlier, probably just flying in. Uh, she found out on the plane that, that uh, England lost in the World Cup today. <laughs> it was, it's been a... a, a Tough afternoon, but Poppy has been a joyful trooper. And for those who haven't, please download Happy Not Perfect app. It should be on this what, what every... I iOS launching Android in August. Look after your mind. And the power is in repetition. Doing it, it's like going for one run a year does not make you fit. You've got to do it every single day. So look after your mind every single day and Happy Not Perfect hopefully can help you. All right, go do it. Go download, breathe easy, live better. Enjoy the ride. Thank you, Poppy.
Because of it, I love Poppy's energy. You can just feel her energy coming through. And, you know, one of the standout phrases in the interview for me that really brought it home is this phrase she used, a quote she used, which is comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. That really summed up the whole point of this, right? That we're living in a world um, of social media where it's all about image and it's all about coming across as perfect, carefully curating aspects of your life to kind of show how successful you are, how cool you are, how together you are, when life is not like that at all. Maybe it's like that for about five seconds while you're taking the picture, but most of life is complicated and messy. You know, and both of us come from a marketing background, right? So we know branding and advertising and marketing to a large extent is about is presenting this perfect facade, but we've never thought about the societal consequences of people doing that. And, and what I love about Poppy is that she has had the courage and the bravery to say, wait a minute, that's not right. And that's not the way life is. She is the embodiment of happy, not perfect. As I think she was one of the first to kind of acknowledge. And I love the phrase that she said, which is about failing forward. Um, and even though she wanted to be a TV presenter from the age of seven and then had a series of mishaps whilst doing that, she kind of all, always kind of fell forward, you know, and, and one thing led to the next thing. And I, and I think that that ties into something which we often say, um, which is, you know, just start with what you have. Start with what you have and then take it from there and things will fall into place piece by piece. So I, I love that energy and optimism that she had, that even if the thing that she thought she was going to do didn't work out, it was an inevitable part of her journey to get to the next stage. Yeah, Poppy has this ability, I think, to really roll with the rhythms of life. And, and I think that that is just, a, I think, a huge part of what has made her, you know, successful to, up to this point. And I think it's part of the, the real spirit of why Happy Not Perfect, I think, is, is really resonating with people. And I think what, one of the things that I loved um, hearing her talk about was, you know, we call it this moment of obligation, this point where you realize that not just you should do something, but you have to do something. And she had this wonderful way of talking about it in terms of a, a soul calling. Um, this is what you should do, and this is what you, you must do. And how Happy Not Perfect was really a soul calling for her. But I think she has a really powerful story in terms of how she's done it, but then also kind of like the, 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 the unexpected you know, highs and lows that come with it. Yeah. I love the Jude Law story, by the way. I love her <laughs> interviewing Jude Law and falling flat in her face. I think she's the Bridget Jones of mindfulness. That's what I'm going to call her now. Yes. <laughs> I think she is. She's <laughs> one of a kind in, in that sense. And to that point about, uh, you know, what she said about you, it's like a dot to dot puzzle. Yes. And, you know, and it, it goes with something that we, we always also say, which is clarity follows action. Yeah. You know, don't worry about the getting a perfect blueprint. Don't worry about a three year plan. Just start doing it and trust that you'll find the next dot and the next dot and the next dot. And suddenly the picture will become clear when you pull back at it. Absolutely. And, I, and you know, and I think that the idea of just going from one step to the next step is really the way, you know, that so many people have kind of found their way. You know, even if you think you have it all figured out on the beginning, which we almost never do. When you look back, you just realize you were just doing that next thing that was in front of you that led to, you know, the, the opportunities that follow. You know, she really has kind of a, a strong sense of that. So 
So yes, today's podcast, uh, Bobby is in New York and I'm in Sydney, Australia, where I've been here for the last 10 days, spreading the gospel of good is a new cool. And I got to tell you, there is some amazing stuff happening here on the ground. And it's amazing to see that this idea of business and creativity as a force for good is, is not just taking root in Australia, but flourishing as well. Um, so stay tuned for more about what else we're going to be doing in this country. So thank you to all of you out there who've been listening to the podcast, subscribing to the podcast from literally all over the world. We've been getting some great feedback and, and notes. Continue to spread the word about the Good is the New Cool podcast. Please subscribe, tell a friend, tell a friend. Wherever you get your podcast, please continue to stay connected to us. Shoot us notes on social media. And uh, thank you. Thank you for the continued support, all of you um, around the world who listen to us each episode. This program was brought to you by Good as a New Cool and Soho House in association with Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, After Aziz, with Bobby Jones and featured Poppy Jamie, the creator of the Happy Not Perfect app. To find out more, please visit www.goodisanewcool.org.